Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Welcome to an honorable profession. I'm Debbie Cox Bolton, CEO of the New Deal, where we're proud to support some of the inspiring leaders you hear on this podcast. In this episode, I talked with Robert Garcia, the first Latino, first openly gay, and youngest ever mayor of Long Beach, California. Now serving in his second term, we talked about the mayor's nationally recognized efforts on his COVID response, his plan to rebuild his city post-COVID, climate change, and the role he and his city played in reuniting 1,500 migrant children with their families this summer. We also talked about his inspiring personal story as an immigrant himself, becoming the first in his family to go to college, his career as an educator, and eventually running for office and leading his city in a whole new direction. Mayor Garcia, welcome to an honorable profession. Happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to a fellow Californian. It's a big week this week here. We're taping a couple days, a few days after the recall election. I know that the governor and the president uh, were with you the day before the recall in Long Beach, talking in part about the governor's COVID response, your COVID response. Tell me what you make of the recall vote and what you think people maybe particularly outside California should take away from it. Yeah, I mean, I think first that uh, the governor has done a, a great job with the pandemic. And I think what the recall was really about was a referendum on his work as governor as it relates to taking on COVID-19 and how people feel about the direction of the state. And I think overwhelmingly, as we see across the state, uh, he went in a landslide. It was not anywhere near what um, some of the pollsters were predicting. Uh, here you know, in Long Beach, he, it was 71% of voters voted no. Um, that's pretty typical across LA County. And he did incredibly well in the Bay Area. So this was a, a good moment for the state. I think he focused, rightly so, on mass mandates, ensuring that schools are safe. And that's what he's been focused on over the last you know, year plus. And so voters rejected what was a very, I think, undermining way of trying to, to change the election results. And um, we're happy to have had the president here to kind of close out the campaign. It was great. It's always great to see Air Force One land in your airport. And uh, had a chance to spend some time with with him and, and, and the governor, and it was a lovely time. He, he spent the night in the city, also, which was really, which was really great. Oh, that's so great. Well, and clearly, you know, you guys have been doing a great job on COVID in your city. First, I am so sorry you've been touched so so personally by this. You lost your mother and your stepfather to COVID last year, and I'm just heartbroken for you. You know, how are you feeling about that? And then, and then, secondly, you know, in spite of that personal loss, you really have become a national model for how to combat COVID. You know, from the beginning, whether it was the testing site, then it was the vaccine site. How are you feeling about where things are in in Long Beach? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, losing family is really hard. I think uh, we have to remember that people are losing family and friends every single day to the to the pandemic. We are all trying to support each other through a very difficult time. You know, it's very been hard, very hard on my family, and I also know at the same time the kind of uh, person you know uh, my 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 parents were, and the kind of person my mom my mom was, and she was a healthcare worker, an essential worker, and this is a really important moment. And she would want us all to get to work, take care of people, make sure people are healthy and safe, and that's I think what we're focused on. I, Part of, I think, what drives me is trying to have, you know, try to have uh, policies in place that protect people and, and that spare people kind of the, the tragedy that has happened to, to my family and to, and to me and that's happened to so many others across the country. And so, you know, you kind of wake up every day and you just figure out how many lives can we save today? And that's what the vaccine's all about. Um, the, the White House has called Long Beach a, a national model as it relates to vaccine and testing, and the, the governor has done the same thing. And that's because we focus on equity. We focus on making sure that you know everything was accessible. We have generally outpaced most of our neighbors in the state, and we were the first uh, city in, in in California to educate teachers and get schools reopened in a way that uh, was supportive and that were, was safe. And the teachers would, would want to come back to the classroom. They were double vaccinated before we opened up a single classroom door. So those are the types of actions that we took early on. I'm really proud of the city. There's still a lot of work to do. The pandemic is far from over. There's there's no uh, victory laps that should be taken. We have a lot of work to do still, but I am proud of, of the progress so far. Yeah. And anything else um, that we are, you know, looking at schools reopening across the country now, and you are one of the biggest school districts in California. How's it going for your schools uh, now that they're reopened for, in September? So Long Beach Unified was not just the first school that put in place the vaccinations for teachers and employees, but also was the very first school to put in a mandate for a school district where all employees had to be vaccinated or do the weekly testing. So uh, Long Beach was went first. And then soon after Long Beach, the state put in a very similar, I think it was two days later, the state put in a statewide mandate. So I think the, the school system is doing well. And we do obviously on-site testing of all the kids. It's difficult that kids can't get vaccinated or, or not all or not all kids, of course, under 12. And so that does um, make it harder to contain spreads or outbreaks. I think what I told everyone is, is there are going to be outbreaks in schools. There are going to be um, moments where, where kids catch COVID because they are around each other and, and, and it's hard to always keep kids separated and with their masks on. So it's just, it's just how do we prevent as, many, as much transmission as possible? How do we do testing, education, make sure parents at home are vaccinated? All of those are kind of pieces to it. But I think we're all, we're all under the same agreement that schools need to be open. It's not okay anymore to have kids. Uh, it's, it's been very, very damaging to them, as it has been to everyone. But we're going to keep the schools open as, as best we can and keep them safe. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that as a mother of uh, two high schoolers who I know are so much better being uh, in school than, than last year. So thanks for all your work on that. You're in your second term as mayor. And, and during your tenure, you've been you've been incredibly active on all kinds of fronts, frankly. You've done such great work on economic development and climate and housing and education. I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, the pandemic has exposed so many gaps uh, to access to services, so many longstanding inequalities that we knew were there pre-COVID, but I think they've just really shown a spotlight on those. And you have put together and passed earlier this year a, a plan uh, using federal funding from the American Rescue Plan, but also federal and state and local dollars, a really comprehensive plan that I, that I believe is uh, your hope is to really be transformational with some of the things you're doing there. Talk to us about that, wh what you're prioritizing, how you're thinking about kind of building back better to use the president's term. Yeah, we actually were the first uh, large American city to, to actually pass and adopt 
a plan off of the American Rescue Plan. As ours is called the Long Beach Recovery Act. It is about a $250 million plan that uh, addresses three areas. One is economic recovery. The second is uh, healthy and safe communities. And then the third is securing the city's financial future. It's been just a real godsend to have had President Biden and the Congress pass this plan. I mean, cities needed it desperately. And so, you know, on the economic dollars, we're putting tens of millions of dollars, of course, into small businesses and economic empowerment zones and uh, the digital divide, making sure small businesses have touch, you know, touchless uh, technology for, um, for, for payments. And um, and making sure that that there's youth employment in place for for you know for kids that need access to, to programs after school and workforce training and development uh, on on the healthy and, and safe side we know that gun purchases for example are have been are up by like 65 percent 70 percent across the country in Long Beach we've confiscated about 60 percent more guns just in the last year than than the year prior we know that gun sales have skyrocketed during the pandemic and so for us it's also about violence prevention. You know, putting in part, uh, programs in our parks, making sure that kids have resources, that families have childcare, uh, making sure that uh, we we will retain a healthy community. And, and on the last piece of it, which was the, on the on the financial piece, we also use some of the resources to end furloughs, so we can get uh, 100% of our employees back to work. Uh, cities took a huge hit when revenues dramatically decreased because of sales tax and, and, and other you know construction and uh, stopping and restaurants and other locations being closed. So we put resources into ending furloughs so we can get back to cleaning streets and having a full-fledged city uh, city force and uh, and also helped us uh, put our reserves back. We spent down about $50 million of emergency reserves uh, during this last year because of the pandemic. And we have to be prepared for the next emergency or pandemic. So just to be able to replace our emergency reserves is also a very big help. Yeah, it's a it's a really impressive plan. And it's exciting. And I and I know that, you know, some of the stuff that we're talking about nationally, particularly, you know, we're obviously all eyes are on Congress right now around the bipartisan infrastructure deal. That's infrastructure is a place that you really prioritized early in your career as mayor. You've done a, a number of initiatives uh, that you've proposed and passed in your city. But I think your signature one is this measure A, putting in place a sales tax to be able to invest in infrastructure and public safety. And that I believe has now been extended and made permanent because it's going so well. So, you know, A, how's that going? Why was that such a priority? And have any of the priorities changed um, in the light of COVID that you're now thinking about going forward? Yeah, when I got elected mayor, the first thing I noticed was that the city had not passed a tax in 40 years, had not increased any type of tax, really. Um, In fact, it had cut its sales tax. And that the last three attempts had all resulted in failed uh, sales tax increase measures. So, you know, a lot of folks early on were like, well, this is very unpopular, you know, don't don't propose raising taxes on on, on and the population. And then you've got a campaign to get people to raise their own taxes at the ballot. Most cities don't have the ability to just raise sales tax. It's got to go to voters. In California, that's the case. But I knew that you know, there was so much need. And so we put in front of motor voters, uh, really with an infrastructure public safety measure, but mostly infrastructure to rebuild uh, roads and streets across the city. And, you know, it, it passed. I want to say the final, the final number was something close to 63, 64% of the population, I mean, 50% plus one to pass. And we're ecstatic. It's, we're right now uh, doing more streets and roads than we have in a generation. So we have more construction happening. We had construction happening since the passage of Measure A. We made it, voters made it permanent. And you can see the difference in just the streets everywhere. Now, it doesn't mean we still have a billion dollars of streets to do, you know, and so there's a lot more resources needed. 
but uh, just what it's been able to do for us has been pretty significant. So we're proud of that. I have worked at, uh, believe it or not, I've proposed 10 different ballot measures since I've been mayor, all 10 have passed. So not one that we've proposed has failed. That's amazing. Which is not, that's which amazing. Is nice. And well, what do you attribute that to? And in particular, the sales taxes you mentioned, I mean, that's a hard one to get through. Uh, people don't like to raise their own taxes. What do you attribute that success to? I think good government, people trusting their government, I think is really important. I think if the people don't trust their government or don't like the folks over at City Hall, it's going to be harder to, to give them more resources of, of their resources, hard earned resources. We we have passed a 1% sales tax increase. We've extended it, made it permanent, a second measure. We passed a measure to get more resources from water measure. We also got more resources. We put a cannabis tax on the ballot. All of these have been successful in past. And then we've also passed some rainy day reserve fund measures and then some significant charter reform. Um, we, ex we extended term limits. People said, no one's going to extend your term limit. So we went from two four-year terms for, for mayor and, and council members to three four-year terms. I mean, voters adopted these in the, you know, the 60 percentile. We reformed auditing uh, and, and, and then we put it into independent uh, redistricting commission for the city that passed and an ethics commission for the city that also passed. So I'm really proud of all the kind of good government reforms we put in place. And, uh, and people continue to trust uh, the city you know, with these reforms and, and, and with the resources. So we're very, very grateful. That's amazing. It's a lot of good models there. I know one ex thing you've been experimenting with I wanted to ask you about was the universal basic income or guaranteed income. A lot of some really forward thinking mayors around the country have been looking at this. What does your pilot look like and, and how's it going so far? So our pilot is going to be uh, 500 single moms and it is going to be in one zip code uh, in the city. So it's concentrated into uh, our zip code that is has the most poverty. We think that with our the 500 single moms that are living at or below the poverty line to do, if we did 500, it's about 35% of all eligible uh, single mom women that are, that would be in that category. So it's pretty significant. And they're not only going to receive the, um, the monthly uh, support. So we're, but they're going to get the $500 direct cash. And then they're also going to get free childcare. They're going to get access to wi free Wi-Fi bro uh, broadband. They're also going to get free trans public transportation. Uh, so we're creating like a package of uh, basic income and some support. And then, of course, we have uh, the University of Cal State Long Beach, which is doing the study and going to kind of study it for the whole year. So we think that the plan has already been adopted. The kind of application kind of recruitment uh, program process will start this fall. And we hope to launch it uh, at the start of the year for the full year. That's so exciting. I mean, it's, uh, we're really going to be watching closely on that one and see what I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's, um, you know, I think we can all agree that, the, you know, the income disparity, the lack of resources, the lack of access to these things, you know, is just something that's not surmountable by, you know, kind of around the margins that we have to do something really fundamentally different. So it'll be really exciting to see what kind of results you get. And we'll be watching very closely to see if that's something that can be scaled up. Yeah, we're excited. We, we think it's the future. I mean, the truth is the, the, the nature of work is changing so much. So this is, it's good to, it's good to, to I think, experiment with these different types of uh, economic programs. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting, not to belabor, but it's interesting how different cities are approaching it differently, right? What's who they're targeting, whether or not they're doing wraparound services like you are. I mean, I think it's, it is, it's, it's, it's really this experimentation is exciting. And I do want to just ask you about one other policy thing, because I just found it so cool when I was uh, doing some research for this, which is you recently announced the completion of the Long Beach container terminal. People might not know that Long Beach is the second busiest container seaport in the U.S. You do, a, you know, 
bunch of, uh, you know, a huge percentage of shipping. So, and this is the world's first all electric zero emission mega terminal. So what does that mean? And it feels like uh, from my cursory reading that this is something that could really be a model around the world. Yeah, we're, we're very grateful. I mean, the port, the port of Long Beach is a leader in sustainability and, and we're really focused on our climate action plan across the city, but also at the port. The port is a part of the city. This terminal is, is pretty incredible. Just the amount of creativity and innovation that's gone into making it so uh, sustainable. I mean, just everything that you see, just the from the vehicles to the lifts, this the electric power is, is wonderful. The other thing I think is really great about this terminal and why it's been a partnership is the dock workers were very involved in kind of the development of early on about what where the jobs would, would be. Because I think what's important is as we look at our needs around climate and in rebuilding uh, terminals and, and really just industry, we have to remember that some of the best paying union jobs are at these locations. I mean, the dock workers make incredibly good benefits and salaries for their families. And so how, how, how are we able to transition to kind of cleaner technology, to cleaner terminals while also working and training and making sure that the dock workers have what they need to be able to, to survive with their families, I think is a balance. I think we've tried to achieve that balance um, at this terminal. I think the future as we move forward, is going to we're going to continue to look at how we make terminals more sustainable while also keeping these kind of good union longshore jobs in our docks. Uh, if you look, for example, at um, uh, just next door to, to Long Beach, San Pedro, and, and downtown Long Beach, I mean, a big part of folks that the working class folks there they're working on the docks. You know, it's it's a long time. It's been, I think, a really really great opportunity to kind of have this conversation around kind of what the future of of, of of, of, of robots and technology looks like as it relates to, to climate, but also kind of doubling down on like these good jobs. So I, I think I think it's it's been great. Yeah, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. And I lied to you as, as we transition into your kind of personal story and how you got into public service. I do want to mention one other thing that you've been working on, which I'm just so inspired by, which is you, Long Beach was chosen as one of the California sites where migrant children came and your convention center became a temporary emergency shelter for 1500-ish migrant kids, right? And, um, and you know, you were able to announce, I think, even earlier than you were supposed to, that every single one of those children had been reunited with a family or uh, with whoever they were going to be sponsored by. I know that we'll talk about it, but as an immigrant yourself, I'm wondering, you know, first, thank you as just an American for doing that. And secondly, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was just really, I think, uh, uh, an honor to be able to host these these kids and these um, amazing kids, you know, amazing children in, in our convention center. We had heard, obviously, that the that the White House and HHS was looking for these kind of emergency sites across the country. I connected with a few folks, the White House, and we were asked if we would be willing to step up and do this and to be a host. And of course, immediately I said absolutely. And I'm an immigrant myself, and I'm grateful that there were folks that welcomed me when I when I arrived to the United States, and were very gracious. and And so it was, you know, it was a very challenging, but a very I think successful effort. We, we reunited over 1,500 of these kids that have just gone through incredible trauma and and a very difficult time in in, their, in in not having the you know family support system at the border that they need. And and many of them, of course, come with unique challenges, mental health challenges, health needs. But we got kids here. I mean, UCLA came in. They built a hospital inside the convention center. 
They had books, they had outdoor play space for them. And everyone that came into the facility was impressed. I think I think we actually, uh, we were told by Secretary Becerra and others that we probably had the best facility in, in the entire country as it relates to taking care of the kids and just the warmness of it. We try to really warm up the convention center. You know, we got books and toys and we had a book drive and toy drive that uh, brought in over 100,000, believe it or not, books and toys, 100,000 books and toys uh, for these kids. So it was, it was it was an honor to do it, and we you know we would do it again. I mean, it's, it's just the the, the the I think the kind of city that that Long Beach is. Yeah, it's such a beautiful story. So you mentioned you're an immigrant. You came here at five with your family from Lima, Peru. Tell me about uh, how what drove you your family to decide to to come to America. Well, I mean, you know, I think like most families that come to the U.S., it's all about the American dream and, you know, kind of wanting the best for your family and your kids. And that's why my mom and dad uh, came to the U.S. with my, my grandparents and I had some aunts and uncles. And so, you know, we, we got here and grew up in a very typical immigrant experience all together in, you know, you know, in the same house, same apartment. Didn't have a lot growing up, but a lot of love and support. And I think that uh, just very grateful that I had really strong family structure. You know, no one in my family had ever gone to college before. So for me, the decision to go to college was a family decision and, and one that I made um, having spent a lot of summers in Long Beach with my family at the beach. We, uh, the university is just blocks away from the beach, uh, Long Beach State. And so it was a campus we knew and they literally applied to one place and that was Long Beach State. Didn't know anything else about college. We went there and had an amazing time. And and, and actually my, my senior year of of college when uh, I actually became a U.S. citizen. So my family and I became became U.S. citizens. And it's it's just funny how things change. You know, I, th- um, I think about uh, what allowed us to become citizens. That was a, an amnesty bill that Congress passed by a Republican president, by the way, Ronald Reagan and Democrats. And, uh, you know, one of my funny stories is always like when my family and I all became citizens, we were all Republicans. And we were Republicans because uh, we loved Ronald Reagan because we all we knew really was that here is this president that gave us all a path to citizenship. And uh, of course, now we're all Democrats, but <laughs> you kind of find, you find, you know, kind of who you are over time. But, um, but you know, we uh, go to show you how different of a political environment we're in today. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, and, uh, yeah. And I hear you, you know, my husband's a naturalized citizen as well. And so I got to the privilege of doing his naturalization ceremony with him. And it was, uh, this was when Obama was president and it was just such a moving experience to see these, you know, so many people who had waited so long to become citizens who were so, you know, excited to be part of this country and, you know, be share these values. And it makes me so sad. And, you know, just where we are kind of with the immigration debate generally, but the same year that you became a citizen, you also became student body president, right? Is that not true in your senior year? I was, I think I, I got elected student body president and then I became a citizen soon after that. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so, why did you decide to run for student body president? Honestly, I think I was president of a campus club or, or you know, and it got involved that way. And then, um, you know, kind of, you kind of realize, okay, you know, this, yeah, this leadership stuff maybe is, is, is good. And, and, and so I ran for, for president and I, and I, and I won and then that really opened my eyes to the, the politics. I, I just kind of really, it took me a while to kind of figure out what I wanted to do politically, just because I had always wanted intention to be like an educator and I, I wanted to be like a college administrator. And I, and I did that I mean, from a career perspective. I, I did spend about 10 years in and out of the classroom and, um, do, and working on colleges and university campuses before I became here. Yeah, I've always, I've always, you know, I, mean, I have a doctorate in education. I consider myself like an educator first. I'm married to an, an educator and a professor here at the university. So we have a kind of a teacher household. 
I've talked about my husband a lot today. I don't really do it. My husband's also a professor. I'm feeling we have a lot of synergies here. Immigrant <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> professors. So tell me about that leap that you made to decide to run for uh, for office. Where where did that, uh, you know, you have a career that you were, were clearly loving and passionate about. What, what catalyst was there to say, I'm going to do this? You know, I was probably a few years into buying my, uh, my home. I was quickly, you know, was involved in the neighborhood organization. You, you really, really quickly realize, okay, I need to get my streets fixed, my sidewalks messed up, you know, all these things. So you get involved that way at the city. And then, um, you know, my, my council person got elected to the state legislature and there was an opening on the city council. And then my neighbors were like, you should, you know, you should run for the city council seat. And, uh, and I was interested, but you know, her, her husband or partner was going to run for her seat and he had been the former council person or, you know, so they kind of, you know, went back and forth. So it was kind of like a situation where everyone said, oh, well, there's no way you're going to win. Obviously, you know, she's the state assembly member for, for Long Beach and, and he's the former councilman. So, you know, and that, but I just, you know, I just kind of felt the, 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 the gusto to do it. And I said, well, you know, I'll try my best and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So I did end up winning. And then the irony and uh, the irony of all it was I, I won at the time I was, I was the youngest member ever elected to the Long Beach City Council, which was great. And then a few years later, the mayor decides not to run for reelection. And uh, I'm in a similar position where th- that state legislature legislator runs for mayor. She's like, I'm running for mayor. And I had already beaten her, her partner. And she's a great, by the way. So we're like super good friends now. And then I said, well, you know, I'm going for mayor. And everybody had gave me, kind of gave me the same line, which was, well, you're too young. Uh, there's never been a person of color elected to citywide office. Certainly not a kind of one-term council person from uh, a part of the city that was that had not elected a mayor before. I and mean, all the mayors came from the same part of town, you know, period. And I, I, I came from, from uh, downtown, from the downtown, a little neighborhood right outside of downtown, which is a working class, you know, neighborhood. And so I ran and I got elected and I got elected. I think what I was like 36 years old was I, I think maybe. So it, I was I was at the time, you know, the youngest person elected, the first Latino, first person of color, first gay person. So I kind of like broke a lot of like, like glass ceilings really quick. But that helped me, I think, like be bold and like do some. I think people were expecting me to be different than everybody else because I was naturally. So I just moved quick. Progressive taxes, climate change. Immediately was first mayor to appoint more women than men to, you know, the over 350 positions I appoint across the city, boards and commissions and all, 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 all these, you know, directors for all these, all these um, city agencies. And that was intentional, you know, and you try to make, you know, and I remember when, when I did that, I remember I was talking a lot about, oh yes, we just made history of officially more women than men in the first time ever. A lot of people said, well, why, you know, I, you know, was that intentional? Why did why, it was intentional? I said, of course it was intentional. You know, you, 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 you have to, if you're going to actually make that kind of change, you actually have to be intentional about it. This isn't naturally, I found, you know, I think for a lot of folks that say it's, you know, too hard to recruit women, or I, I think we have to understand that um, for, for women, it is oftentimes a lot more difficult to get engaged in a city commission or a volunteer position or even a, a management role that traditionally has not been a welcoming spaces for women. And so you have to, you have to do the extra effort. So it was much harder to bring in women because they had so many barriers in front of them. And so I was really proud of that. And, and then we did a bunch of progressive stuff. You know, we, we got through trans inclusive healthcare in our benefits for our employees. 
We did a bunch of LGBTQ plus uh, support and support of working people. And we, we put in place the state's first citywide project labor agreement, which got modeled, you know, after a bunch of, you know, uh, city after city after after we did, we were one of the first cities to, for example, ban styrofoam and plastic bags before the state. We raised our minimum wage to $15 before the state of California did. So all those big kind of efforts the state did, we were usually a year or two prior to that and kind of helped pave the way. And, you know, Long Beach used to be a city a couple of decades ago, a decade ago, where you know, a lot of a lot of conservatives were elected. And that was just, you know, we always, you know, Republican Congress members and pretty split councils. And I think that that is absolutely is different now, you know, so I'm proud to be our city's most progressive mayor we've ever had. And I'm sure there'll be others, in the, you know, after me that'll be more progressive. But, you know, being a mayor, first and foremost, you have to balance, I think, um, the services that you provide. And you can't, I think oftentimes, I tell my friends that are in the legislature, you know, they, you know, you're, you're able to be a little more ideological in, sometimes and, 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 and take positions in certain ways. I think as mayors, at the end of the day, people want their streets fixed and the trash picked up and someone to, call, to be there when you call 911. That's what they want from you more than anything else. And, and I think that's what we're trying to focus on. Yeah, well, it's so amazing. And you've done such a, you know, as you said, just so many changes, so many innovations, but you know, you got reelected and you got reelected by a lot, you know, and it, so which seems to mean that you, you know, people like the direction you went and, you know, hopefully that's why they voted for you in the first place. And um, although it was a much closer election the first time, if I remember correctly, than it was the second I'm time. So right? first time was close. <laughs> yeah. So you really, you want to, you want them over. And I just, I guess I'd end with this question. So, you know, you obviously have done a great job in Long Beach and you are, you know, you've really been touted already as a, as a national rising star in politics, too. You were one of the 17 rising stars, as they call them around the country, that got to do one of the keynotes at the Democratic National Convention, for example, with a couple other New Deal leaders. So what do you think's next for you? That's a decision I'm definitely going to make here in like the next uh, couple months. So my, my hope is to have a decision in place prior to the holiday season. And, and certainly I'm, I'm, I'm going to definitely weigh if I'm going to run uh, for re-election one more time. And uh, because you can, because uh, you had that bill. <laughs> yeah, voters, voters passed it, you know. Uh, so I might, I might do that. I think I want to really be at a better place with the pandemic before I make any sort of announcement or decision. So I think, I think a campaign right now or, or you know, a campaign in the last few months would have been very distracting. So I think, um, I think we're going to be in a better place, I hope, in a few months. And I think that'll be a good time to kind of uh, make a, a decision and then go right into it. And, you know, if uh, if I choose to run for mayor again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run to win, and but we'll see we'll see uh, we'll see what happens then. That's great. Well, I so appreciate you joining us, and I just you know I just want to tell you I'm so grateful to you and to all your colleagues who are you know on the front lines in cities and states across America who are governing and leading in these unprecedented times, and you know we just really are grateful for your service and getting us through all of this. So thank you, and thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.